All right, the truth about money, part five. All the things money cannot do. Here I am in week five of a series on money, and you're still here. I mean, I can't speak with the other locations. I can't see them right now, but I am amazed at how many of you have refused to leave. What do I got to do? You, you guys are awesome. You're hearing the word of God, and, and every time I preach about money, I worry, and I think, who's going to get offended? And, and our amazing team uh, staff tells me every time uh, that they appreciate the word, and then the people who give appreciate the word, and the people who have yet to give still appreciate the word. And I just thank you guys for having ears to hear the word of the Lord about this particular issue. It's Christmas season, and this is an issue for us particularly in the Christmas season, because some of you, it's all about the gifts. It's all about the pressure you're gonna put on yourself about what you're gonna get the kids, or what you're gonna get the wife, or what you're gonna get the mom or the dad. And there's a lot of pressure in this season regarding money. At the same time, it's a season of giving. And so some of you are getting the ads, you're getting the emails, you're getting the requests like I am about where you need to give your money. You're also getting the black, Friday sales, the Cyber Monday sales, the Giving Tuesday campaign has turned into Cyber Week, hasn't it? Pretty soon it's just going to be Cyber Year. All the time, buy this, 40% of limited supply, buy now. And before you know it, you've overspent in December and then you're hungover in January in more ways than one. You ate too much, you spent too much, you drank too much, and you didn't give enough. And I wanna save you from your January lull in the spirit to give you a reminder that money can only promise what God alone provides. So that's such a good line, money promises what God only, what only God can provide. I want you to say, the word promise and provides in, uh, in this statement with me. So let's try it. Money can only promise. what only God can provide. Yeah, that, that's true, isn't it? Money promises power, security, safety. Uh, money promises uh, importance, significance, value. But it can't provide those things. But it doesn't stop us from falling for it. And today we're going to look at a guy who fell for it big time in Mark chapter 10. Take out your Bibles, Mark chapter 10. Uh, if you are new to the Bible, don't worry. Most of the scriptures will be up on the screen when I get to them as we unpack the story. But I want to read the story in full, and then we will take a look at it um, in more detail as we study this text together. Stand with me at our locations if you don't mind, and we stand for the reading of God's Word as often as we can uh, in this place, and so we're going to stand and read together. Verse 17 of Mark 10, here's what it says. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, what? Loved him. I just want you to remember that. Looking at him, loved him. 
and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for the rich, those who have wealth, to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, and his disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And the disciples were amazed, and Peter began to say to him, uh, I'm sorry, and, and the disciples were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are what? Possible. possible. With God, all things are possible. possible. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to hear your voice. And I pray that we hear you right now in this moment. Speak to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And help us most of all, as we always pray, to see Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I'm really spending some time with money in this series because it's a serious issue for so many people. And it's an issue that has the capacity, I think, more than almost any other temptation to take you out of the faith. It's an issue for marriages. A lot of divorces are caused by money and frustration with money. It's an issue for young people. How many young people today are in serious uh, uh, debt because of student loans and, and all of the, the promises that education offers? Again, money promises what only God can provide. I read a statistic that only 50% of college graduates or I'm sorry, college students actually even graduate with the degree that they started out with. And so think about this, all that money that they took out loans for on the promise of earning the money to pay it off, they don't, have, they don't even have the capacity to pay it off because they didn't even follow through and get the job that they were going to school for. And so our young people are saddled with amazing amounts of debt. Ken, they're looking to the government to fix that problem. And, and I want to say, if the government fixes that problem, understand that it's just a Band-Aid on something you need surgery for. Because it's a spirit. Money is a spirit that is going to wreck your life. And there are no simple solutions to your financial problems. You've got to get this right in here. This has to be right in regards to money and God. And you've got to put the things in the right order. The, the right things in the right order. And this guy that comes to Jesus is a sad story. I, I love to preach the word because the word is positive. The scriptures are good news, amen? amen? Like the word gospel, some of you don't know this, but the word gospel, evangelon, in Greek, it literally means good news. Jesus came to give us good news. Hey, it's Christmas, I bring you good news of great joy, right? That's what our faith is about. But unfortunately, on today's passage, it doesn't end well. This guy comes to Jesus with a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the story ends with him downcast and walking away from Jesus. Sad story. I was reading Warren Wearsby, the great 
theologian from the last century, just died recently, by the way. Warren Wiersbe talks about this passage in his commentary on the Bible. And he wrote this, and I have to quote it to you because it was just it so impacted me. And I thought, that's true. Here's what he writes. He says, quote, of all the people who ever came to the feet of Jesus, this man is the only one who went away worse than the way he came. End quote. Wow, that's true. Because the scripture says he's rich, and, and, and Mark tells us he's got great possessions, and Luke tells us he's a ruler and he was exceedingly rich. And Matthew tells us, Matthew's gospel tells us that he was young and he walks away worse. He walks away sad from Jesus. Why? Because money had a hold on his heart. Here's what I know from years of doing ministry is nobody plans on giving up the faith over money, but it happens all the time. And we're constantly warned about it in scripture. We read this passage last week. I wanna put it back on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, The love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. For it's through this love, this craving for money, not even the money itself, just the craving. Again, it's a heart issue. It's not a dollar issue. The craving of this money has caused some to wander from the faith, and they pierce themselves with many pains. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13 about four kinds of soil. The four soils represent four different responses to the word. The word is preached to four different kinds of people. One is the path, and, and the, the, soil, the seed doesn't even get in the heart because the path is hardened. And then another kind is this rocky soil where um, they're just you know overwhelmed by uh, the, 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 the world, and they have no depth of character to, to really stand strong for Christ. And then the third soil that Jesus talks about is the soil amongst the thorns. The seed goes in, but they hear it and they respond to it at first, but the cares of this world, Matthew 13, 22, and the deceitfulness of what? Notice it's not the deceitfulness of the devil. Incredible text here. The deceitfulness of the riches of this world choke the word of God and it's proves unfruitful in their lives. Paul, the apostle, traveled the world with partners in ministry. One of those partners' name was Demas. And in Colossians chapter four, he tells the Colossian church that Demas and Luke, his partners in ministry, send greetings to you. And then years later, he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter four, and here's what became of T Demas, 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present, has deserted me. In other words, he gave up the faith for fortune. Now, nobody plans on doing this. No one plans on You don't get saved, put your hand up, get baptized, say yes to Jesus with the intention of one day walking away from Jesus because of money. But let me just tell you, it happens all the time. So you gotta be ready. You gotta put your guard up and you gotta realize all the things that money cannot do. It can only promise what God alone, what? Provides. Provides. So what does money promise in this guy's life, this text here? Such a powerful story. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Money cannot satisfy our heart. God can. J.D. Rockefeller, very famous story, the richest man probably that ever lived in proportion to his generation. Right now there's a battle about who's the richest man. It keeps going back from Elon Musk to Warren Buffett to Jeff Bezos, and it's just kinda like cycles, depending on the stocks of these individual people. But nonetheless, in the early 1900s, there was no question it was J.D. Rockefeller. He owned 90% of the oil and gas industry of this country, 90%. 
He actually had so much wealth, his net worth was 1% of the entire US economy. You wanna talk about the original one percenter, he was it. And they asked this guy who had more money than is possibly imaginable to anybody today, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just a little more. Can't satisfy. No matter what we get, you can't satisfy. Years ago, I talked about this, and it's actually in my book, about how people who think, uh, sorry, it's in the book that's coming out, um, uh, people who make $50,000 or ask, well, what makes you rich? And the answer was $75,000 would make me rich. And they asked the $75,000 people, how much would make you rich? And they said $100,000. And they went on and on like that. $100,000 people said $120,000 would be rich. And then $120,000, $150,000. There's always a moving target, isn't it? It's always a moving target with what's enough. And the reality is that at some point we've got to learn that there's no amount that is actually enough. The reason why is because money can only promise what God provides. Money cannot satisfy, God can. This guy's rich, this guy's young. This guy's power, the scripture calls him, uh, in my Bible, I don't know if it's in your Bible, but above the text there it says, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. So think about this guy's got the holy trinity of the American dream. He's rich, and I tell you, there's, it's probably enjoyable to be rich, but let's be honest, there's one thing better than being rich, and that's being rich and young. That's very rare. This guy's rich and young, and he's a ruler, which means he's important or he's in charge. He's got power, he's got authority. He's, 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 a, he's a person of, of, of great um, notoriety in his society. I, I tell you again, the holy trinity of the American dream, fortune, fame, and youth, full of life. And yet, look what it says in verse 17. Look what it says. Jesus was setting out on his journey. He was walking on the road there. And this young, rich ruler comes running up to Jesus, running, kneeling, and bowing before this poor Galilean carpenter, this guy from a no-name town named Nazareth. And this very important, distinguished, rich person falls on his knees and asks this guy, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why would a rich famous, important, powerful, young person who seems to have everything we think we need in life bow at the feet of this poor, nowhere to lay his head carpenter named Jesus. Do you know why? Because he knew in his heart it wasn't enough. At some point, you gotta get there. I feel especially um, prompted in my spirit to, to tell our young people again and again, It'll never be enough if you worship and serve money. It'll never be enough. You'll always be chasing the carrot as the goalposts keep moving, and you do it. You keep moving the goalposts in your life as to what will satisfy you. But Jesus responds with a very strange statement. Look at it in verse 18. Um, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Do me a favor, everybody in-house. Underline, no one is good. Underline it, because that came from the mouth of Jesus. No one is good. Now I want you to make sure as you hear it, say it with me, one, two, three. No one is good. Every location, say it, one, two, three. No one is good. Jesus said that. No one is good except who? God. So why, you know, what a, what a weird answer, by the way, to Jesus. The guy comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You never have a normal conversation with Jesus. Never. It's kind of what makes him Jesus. 
And uh, the reason why he answers with the question, why do you call me good, is because he wants to make sure that this guy understands that he's talking to somebody that's more than a good teacher. This is kind of self-revelation of Jesus. He's letting this guy come, and this is how God works, by the way. He's letting this guy come to the conclusion that Jesus is more than just a teacher. He's more than just a man. He's more than just an informed rabbi. He's God. And he alone is what? Good. Jesus alone is the only good person. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, you're pretty good, dude. You got riches, you got fame. You're pretty good. You're doing really well. Okay, now just add a couple things. Add church attendance. There you go. Add church attendance uh, and, and give to some charities and you should be really good. Like you're cool. Like Jesus doesn't say, he says, no one is good. Hear me, America. Jesus said it, not me. No one is good. I say it because I always have to remind everybody I'm preaching to that the uh, country's favorite religion is I'm a good personism. That's our favorite religion. All right. I'm a good person. What, what, what are you judging yourself on? You're judging yourself on the curve, my friend. You're judging yourself against Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Kanye West. That's what you're judging yourself on. <laughs> Had to go there, sorry, just word association now. Anyway, we always judge ourselves, when it comes to morality, we're always judging ourselves against those who are worse than us. And when it comes to money, we're always judging ourselves against those who are better off than us. That's kind of inconvenient, but it's true. But anyway, we're gonna dig deeper into this. Why do you call me good? I'm the only good person that you'll ever meet. That answers the question, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there was only one good person and he volunteered for it. His name was Jesus. But this guy knows that something's missing. At some point, life will make you realize something's missing, amen? Some of you, that's how you came to church because you had all the things that the country promised would make you happy and you still weren't happy. At some point you gotta get there. If you don't get there, just wait for it, it'll come to you. Because again, the carrot is always there offering you happiness, you get the carrot and it's not happy. And so what you have to understand at some point is there's gotta be more. And that's what this guy does. The first and very good thing that he does is he comes to Jesus and thank God for that. You, you gotta come to the person who can answer the question, what am I missing? Recently I took up the game of pickleball. Has anybody ever played pickleball? Yeah. It's ping pong on a tennis court. Yeah, I call it tennis without the exercise. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Very big in Florida, all the people play it. Our church is filled with pickleball worshipers. And uh, so they asked me to come out and I did pretty good. I won about half the games. So I got up on the stage last week before I preached to you guys from the video and I said to you guys, hey, we got you know, meetings this week and I want you to be there and put your pickleball game on another night. And uh, by the way, if anybody wants to get beat by me on pickleball, I'll be there on Wednesday night. I have to talk trash because I have a problem. I have no filter. So I did, I talked trash. All the guys showed up on Wednesday night and I have to tell you, you need to pray for the men of Waters Church of Paula Beach. They showed me no mercy. They truly need Jesus. It's probably why God sent us down there to evangelize that, that terrible culture. Anyway, they beat the living snot out of me. I won one game. I played 12 games, I won one. The only one game that I won was when I partnered with somebody to take on one person. 
And uh, I remember the first time I went out, they were coaching me up about, oh, here's what you gotta do. Oh, this is what you gotta do. I'm like, ah. You know, it's amazing how when you think you're all that, you don't listen to anybody. At the end of that night, however, I was like, what am I missing? Teach me, you wise pagan people. You know, tell me the secrets of pickleball. At some point in life, you get humbled. And you ask the very important, what am I missing? That's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. And Jesus is the place to go to. But the story's not done yet, so we gotta continue. Here's what it says, number two on your notes. Money cannot validate our image, God can. Money cannot validate, now this one is huge for us. And uh, we just talked about this on my Deep End show this past Tuesday, Balenciaga's got a problem. I didn't even know the name Balenciaga until Monday of last week, I didn't know. Evidently, this is a huge fashion brand for the elite class of our culture. Kim Kardashian in serious hot water. I was looking, looking at her response on Twitter and literally, you know, Kim gets a lot of praise on Twitter and literally every response to her response to this Balenciaga child porn scandal um, is negative. Thank God our country still has somewhat of a conscience about this stuff. Literally blowing up and an absolute disgrace, but I shared about the fact that that name, and I, again, I didn't even know this name until Monday. I really mean that. I, I mean, I've heard of some fashion names, but I didn't know what this name was about. So I had to do a lot of research, and then I was, as I was researching, and I shared this on the channel, that the name Balenciaga can validate total garbage. You, you know what I'm talking about by this? You put the name Balenciaga on worn out shoes and they're suddenly $1,700. So I had a little fun with that and I put my name on some shoes and offered them for sale. $1,500. Nobody's purchased them yet. I'm wondering what's wrong with my name. See, my name doesn't carry the same weight as Balenciaga. This is the problem though. The name... Somehow this name just validates people. If I got Balenciaga shoes, it, they can look like garbage. In fact, they sell a bag that's literally a trash bag. A pocketbook in the shape of a trash bag. What kind of morons are we becoming? Pray for America. We need a revival. Can I get a good amen? We need to realize that trash is trash no matter what name you put on that trash. Good Lord, help us. But the problem is, is we've, we've looked to expensive things to validate us. So, so we're such morons in our country right now that we will literally think the trash is good as long as we paid a lot for the trash. Crazy. And it's such a fool's errand. Have you ever purchased something just because someone else would see it on you? Or somebody else would see you in it. And you get it and you're like, I, I didn't get the response I wanted. Or you post it on social media and you think, yeah, hashtag, whatever it is that you gotta put on there to make sure that people see you and you didn't get the number of likes that you were expecting. Do you know why? Because at the end of the day, people don't care about what you're wearing, they care about what they're wearing. So I, for research for this um, series, I read a fantastic book, not written by a Christian, at least I don't think he's a Christian. His name is Morgan Housel, and the name of the book is The Psychology of Money. And he gets to talk about um, 
uh, fashion and high, paying for high-end stuff to impress others. And he says, you know what I learned is that whenever I, and he, he said, I love nice cars, but you know what I've learned over the course of my life is whenever I see a nice car on the road, I never take the time to try to find out who's driving it. And I thought, and he says, I thought to myself, how many people buy a nice car so that other people can see them in it, but nobody's looking at them, they're just looking at the car. We're looking at things to say, make me valuable, M validate who I am, and we will pay a disgusting company like Balenciaga thousands of dollars to validate our image in the eyes of other people. When Jesus came, he told us that we were made not in the image of some fashion designer in Spain, but we were made in the image of an almighty God who loved us and cared for us and sent his son to die for us. My friend, you can't get any more valuable than having the image of God stamped on your life. And if you get this in your spirit, you will not sell out to all these other forms of idolatry to provide you some substantive value to your identity. Christ has purchased me. I am purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Don't get any more valuable than that. Anyway, the conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler continues. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he says this in verse uh, 19. You know the commandments. Okay, look at the commandments here up on the screen, everybody. Um, how is Jesus doing with that list? How many, how many commandments are there? How many does he mention? <laughs> this is tough. Because he mentions only really five, and he slips in this word defraud, which isn't even in the original 10. Now, questions must be asked. Was Jesus having an off day? <laughs> Was he like, well, I know there's 10. Um, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> My son is actually going through a Bible class and they're asking him to memorize the Ten Commandments and we were going through the Ten Commandments and I realized that I got to six and I was like, is it murder or is it lying or is it, what the heck is that? Anyway, uh, no, Jesus knew exactly what the commandments were. He wrote them. But he mentions the second table of the law here on purpose. What do you gotta know about the commandments God gives them to Moses on two tablets. The two tablets represent the two tables of the law. Theologians call them the vertical commandments and then the horizontal commandments. And he says all the law is summed up in two really commandments. Love the Lord your God, vertical, and love your neighbor as yourself, horizontal. Well, the Ten Commandments, if you break them down, they are vertical first and horizontal second. Notice that Jesus skips the first four. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the, um, you shall not create uh, carved images and no taking my name in vain and honor the Sabbath. And he doesn't even mention those. He skips right to number five, goes all the way to number nine and doesn't even mention number 10. You shall not covet. Now, this guy should have known that Jesus was setting him up. Because he responds, unfortunately, and unwittingly in verse 20. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I never killed anybody. I never committed adultery. I never lied. Didn't bear false witness. And I honored my father and mother. Well, the problem is twofold. 
Number one, Jesus left out the whole coveting thing. And the coveting one is the one that really trips us up if we think about it. See, because you can go your whole life not committing adultery, but still lusting in your heart. You can go your whole life not murdering somebody. And I always, like, I always get a kick out of people who think they're good people because they never murdered anybody. <laughs> wow. What a high bar you've set for the rest of your countrymen. Good for you. Like, you know what I'm saying? But you can go your whole life not murdering somebody and still hating almost everybody. That's why Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you look lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That, he, what is he talking about? He's talking about number 10. He's talking about the coveting commandment. And Jesus purposely left this one out. Because this guy had failed in that commandment. He's setting him up big time. And then, he set, and then he leaves out the other four, the vertical commandments. And the reason why is because he's also setting them up there. And so he lists five commandments that the guy can say, yeah, I've done those. And by the way, that's probably why I'm rich. That's what he thought. Because the scriptures even said this in Deuteronomy 28. God says, listen, if you obey carefully, if you listen to my voice, if you follow my laws, that I command you today. I will set you high above the nations of the earth. And he says in verse two of that chapter, he says, all these blessings shall come upon you and what? Overtake you if you listen carefully to the Lord, voice of the Lord your God. So the Jews of Jesus' day, hear me, this is very important. The Jews of Jesus' day believed that their financial gain was validation of their obedience to God. So their money validated them in the eyes of others. This is why at the end of the story, the disciples are astonished when Jesus says, it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. Because the assumption was, if you were rich, it was because God blessed you for obeying him. You remember the story of Job? And, and he lost everything and the three friends show up and they sit silently with him for seven days. And then they start talking. That's when all hell breaks loose, when they start talking. And every single one of them are like, Job, surely you sinned and God is judging you. But that's not the story because we know that what happened in heaven in that story that God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the devil test him that this guy doesn't just love me for the goodies. He loves me because I'm God. And so, so the assumption in Jesus' day was that if you were rich, it's because you were obedient and God appropriately blessed you. In other words, you thought that the money and the income and the increase was validation for your obedience. And this guy is getting set up, and we fall for it in our day. We might not fall for it because we follow the Ten Commandments, but we follow the commandments of culture. If I live in that neighborhood, then I'll be somebody. If I have that increase, six six-digit increase, six-number in income, then I'm somebody. If I wear certain clothes, I'm somebody. Validation, 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 and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work because nobody really cares about you and what you have. I remember years ago when I was dirt broke and we were in this church, pastoring the church over in our other location, and uh, the church was growing, but we had this uh, couple that came from a very exclusive uh, community in our town here. 
And Cheryl and I got to know them, and we really love this couple. Very beautiful couple. Young, nice kids, beautiful house, beautiful neighborhood, the, the classy neighborhood. I'm telling you, if I named it, most of you here in this location would know where it is. And they invited us over to their house. And Cheryl and I, you know, we weren't making a lot of money back then. And we went to their house. And it was gorgeous. One of those houses where you have to walk through a room to get somewhere. You know what I'm talking You know those houses? You got to walk through a room. How dare they have a room just to get to the other rooms? Arches, statues, fountains. I was sick to my stomach. Anyway, no, no fountains. But it was, it was big. About a year later, they get divorced. We're shocked. And Cheryl reached out to her, like, what's going on? Let's try to reconcile. Couldn't reconcile. They were done. And my wife said, I don't understand. You had so much. You had so much. Your life was so blessed. You know what she said? It was amazing, her honesty in that moment. Again, at some point, life humbles you. She said, you have no idea the pressure we were under to live in that neighborhood. It was always about how your lawn looked and the cars you drove and the decorations and Christmas and Halloween and all. It was constant pressure to keep up with the Joneses. Who are these Joneses? We should shoot them. They're killing us. If your last name's Jones, I apologize. I'm not talking about you. Talk about your cousins, all right? So. But that's our country, isn't it? That's our world. Gotta get it, gotta get it, gotta get it, because then you'll be, no! The Jews also did this in Jesus' day. They just did it with following the law. And Jesus is setting them up for the opportunity of a lifetime. Here's number three in your notes. Money cannot love us where we are. God can. Money cannot love you, and yet we love money. It's really the biggest fool's errand of our culture to love money because it can never love us back. Anybody got some dollar bills or $20 bills in their pocket? Would you just do me a favor at all of our, pull it out if you can, real quick, just pull it out. Just go ahead, go ahead, do it right now. If you got some money, I don't have a wallet on me so I can't pull one out. But just do me a big favor here, real quickly. You got them out? Every location, it's all right, take our time, we're good. I'm still within my time frame, it's all right. Just take a look at that bill, look at the face on that bill. Let me ask you this question. Does he love you? <laughs> he doesn't love you at all, does he? First off, he's dead. He might not be in heaven. And you might not have thought about this, but I guarantee you about a week earlier than right now, and I hate to say this, this is a little bit off the cuff, he was in someone else's pants. Are you following me here? If money was a person, we would execute them. <laughs> How many people's pants have you been in this week? Well, we love it. And it cannot love us back. I love this really corny movie about the Red Sox. It's called Fever Pitch. Stupid movie. Written by Bobby and... Uh, Peter Farrelly, right over here in Cumberland, for our locations, is the next town over. Anyway, big stars. They, they wrote Dumb and Dumber. They wrote every frat house comedy alive. That's, so they wrote this movie about Fever Pitch about a guy, high school teacher, in absolute love with the Red Sox. His name was 
Ben Reitman, and he falls in love with this high-end powerhouse businesswoman played by Drew Barrymore, and Jimmy Fallon is the guy. And uh, they fall in love, but he, is, he eats, sleeps, drinks the Red Sox. He cannot, he makes his whole schedule of life about the Red Sox, right? And uh, he's got season tickets. And so he believes, like a lot of dummies around the, <laughs> these parts, that his presence in the stadium determines whether or not the Red Sox win or, or lose. I mean, really stupid stuff. And so she gets um, a business trip to Paris. She's like, come with me this weekend. Free business trip to Paris. She's like, I can't. She's like, why not? Because the Red Sox are playing the Yankees and they need me. <laughs> and she's just done with them. She's like, I'm leaving. So she leaves, and he's having a crisis now because, and he's coaching a little league in this one scene, coaching a little league team, and the little league kid is getting ready to bat, and he's going back and forth to the little 12-year-old about how, well, you know, she's great, but the Red Sox need me, and, you know, I love her, and it's awesome to be with her, but I really love the Red Sox, and I know that they're counting on me. And the little 12-year-old kid says, Mr. Reitman, you love the Sox more than anybody I know, but let me ask you a question. Have they ever loved you back? The guy says, get out of here. Because he knows he hit him right where it counts. Right here, right in the heart. What does Jesus do with this young man? I've kept all these, I'm, I'm blessed because I'm an obedient Jew. Jesus, and verse 21 it says, and Jesus looking at him, what? Loved him. And I thought about this. The word love is agathe. Agatheo, which is the godly agape love. Agapeo, agape love, the, the, the love of a father for a son. There's five words for love in Greek. This is the most, most parental, compassionate, warmest kind of love. And then in the original text, it's got a prefix, the E-G transliterated prefix before agapeo. So it's ek agapeo, which literally means that Jesus probably did not just love him emotionally, but possibly wrapped his arm around him and hugged him. That's what's happening here. He hugged the guy. His heart went out to him. And I want you to think about this moment because Jesus knows what's about to go down. He's about to put the heaviest demand he's ever put on anybody. And he's about to know, watch this guy walk away. And you have to know that Jesus knew the end from the beginning. You have to know Jesus could read people's thoughts. He knows this guy is about to walk away. And he still loves him. Can I talk to somebody here at every of one of our locations, or maybe you're walking, watching online, and your life has been a disaster, and you think that God couldn't possibly love you. If he can love this guy who's about to leave, you better believe he can love you. This is why you got to put him first, because he loves you. This is why some of you, and I've been hammering this one, you gotta put the tithe first because the tithe separates me from my money as the first order of business and puts Jesus in his rightful place. He is my source, he is my savior, he is my Lord. And this is teaching your heart not to love things, but to love God. Because he's the only one who will truly, everlastingly love you. He'll love you even when you're leaving. He'll love you when you're coming back. Am I talking to anybody who's come back after a while of being away from the Lord? And you were amazed that when you got back to God, he wasn't ready to reprimand you. He was ready to embrace you like the prodigal son. The father ran to see him and killed the fattened calf and threw a party for his son that had returned. That's the Lord that we serve. That's the God who loves us back. And then the statement. Now listen to this. God loves you where you are. 
but he doesn't want you to stay there. And that's why the next statement is so important. You lack one thing, sell everything. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now this passage of scripture drives Americans crazy because we think, oh, is that what Jesus is gonna ask us to do? Well, maybe. I used to say no to that, but maybe. What he's trying to do with this guy is separate him from what was his true love. He's gonna separate this guy from what he really depended on. And think about this, the only way that this guy could follow through with that commandment was one thing. He had to totally trust Jesus to do it. See, he knew he was breaking the first table of the law. God was not first. His possessions were first. His, his life was validated. His life was satiated by things. And Jesus is like, let me break you free from that because it's a fool's errand. You get out rid of all that stuff that's come between you and God and you come follow me. Now, God does not always come and ask people this. And even in the scriptures, Jesus doesn't ask Zacchaeus to give up everything. When Zacchaeus gets saved, and he was a rich man, he turns to Jesus and says, Lord, I give half my possessions to the poor. He gave half. Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, oh, 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 no, 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 everything. No, he says, today salvation has come to this house. So it's an individual moment with this individual guy because Jesus knew where his heart was. And that's the thing about you. Jesus knows where our hearts are. And so for some of you, it's not money. This is, this is not an issue for you. But some of you, it is friends. And some of you, listen to me very carefully here. For some of you, it's family. Family comes before God. Whether that be the family you came from and they can't believe that you got saved and you're baptized and you're going to that crazy waters church. Or is it the family that comes after you and it's the kids. The kids, everything for the kids, everything for the kids, everything for the kids. No, not everything for the kids. Everything for Christ. Christ first. We used to sing a song in the old days. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No one comes between me and Jesus. Jesus might separate you from close-knit family. Jesus might separate you from the things of your life that you think validate you and make you worth something. Jesus is first. You know why? Because he's God. And he's the one that can take you to places you've never dreamed. He really can. Look at the offer. Come follow me. I think about this. Do you know how far people went in Jesus' day on the average in their lifetime? Do you know how far people traveled away from home on the average in Jesus' day? Do you know how far? Want to take a wild guess? Anybody? 30 miles on average for life. People didn't go further than 30 miles. Jesus asked Peter, James, John, the disciples, come follow me. Matthew leaves his tax collector with, follow me. Do you know where these guys went? Around the world. They went around the world. Thomas brought the gospel to India. Uh, Peter brought the gospel all the way to Greece. Paul went all the way to Spain. The disciples traveled the world. Why? Because their trust was not in finances or in their home base. Their trust was in the God who owned the world. And he could sustain them. Verse 22, disheartened. By the saying, he went away sorrowful. Circle sorrowful. Because the word is better. Not better. Sorry, not better. But could also be translated resentful. He was stung. He had some bitterness up in here. Because Jesus put his finger on what was his true salvation. Yeah, at some point, God's gonna do that in your life. It's what keeps a lot of people out of the gates of heaven. Money, things, importance, success, 
the holy trinity of American life. At some point, Jesus is gonna put his finger on it. And if you respond bitterly, watch out. He's compassionate, he wants to take that out. He wants to root that cancer out because he knows it'll kill you. It'll destroy you. One of the greatest, richest men that has ever lived in the history of this country is named Howard Hughes. They made a movie about him called The Aviator starring Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a powerful story about how much this guy had money and changed the world, changed film production, changed everything, built casinos. At the end of his life, he was a recoil. Lived in darkness every single day, watched movies endlessly. The, 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 the historians tell us that his fingernails were inches long, his toenails were never groomed. He was a total recluse, lived in fear of every germ imaginable. Man, imagine what he would have done during COVID. <laughs> you see, you fear COVID when this world is all you got. And he recoiled to a nothing, shallow, swallowed up by life's pleasures and possessions. And what he thought he owned really owned him. And when he died, the casino managers of his casinos made an announcement. We're going to have a moment of silence for our founder, Howard Hughes. And they stopped game play for a grand total of 60 seconds. And at the end of the 60 seconds, somebody, the story goes, somebody shouted out in the casino, let the games begin. He's had his minute. Whole life scorned because of possessions. Robbed him of true living. My friends, when Jesus puts his finger on this in your life, he does it because he wants to set you free. Wants to give you a life that's far more than what you have. Far better than accumulating and accruing, but a life that is set free from the things of this world. Free to follow, free to live, free to be what God wants you to be, where God wants you to be. So that your life is not dictated by all the things that you have accumulated. Which brings me to point number four and the most important point of this whole message. God, money cannot save your soul. God can. Can't satisfy you, can't validate you. Cannot love you, cannot save you, God can. When this guy walks away, it says, Jesus looked around his disciples and listened to the heart of Jesus. How difficult it will be for those who have had wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a couple weeks ago, I told you all this, Americans, you are wealthy. You are. Top 4% of the income earners in the world. If you make the average American income, which I think is $55,000 a year, so you are wealthy. If you've got a car, you are wealthy. If you've got more than one pair of clothes and more than one pair of shoes, you are wealthy. Just get on one of our mission trips and find out for yourself how wealthy you are. So this is about you. And Jesus says it's easier. A little bit, verse 25, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. By the way, I know you may have heard, those of you who have been in the church for a long time, you may have heard, oh, Jesus is referring to a camel gate in Israel. And so to go through the camel gate is very low. You had to get rid of everything, and then you would humble yourself, and you would walk under the camel gate. That's not true. That's not true. So erase that. And then some people say that the word camel in Aramaic is similar to the word for rope. So what Jesus is saying is easier for a rope to go through the eye. That's also not true. Jesus is talking about a literal camel and a literal needle. And he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it is impossible because your money doesn't validate you, save you, or love you. 
So the disciples were what we are right now, exceedingly astonished, verse 26. And they say, well, then who can be saved? Bingo. Now we're talking, now we're cooking with gas. Jesus is like, okay, good. I got you exactly where I want you. If you finally come to the point where you realize that you're not good and your goodness does not bless you and then therefore validates you and your love for money does not make you who you are and you cannot earn your way to heaven because it is impossible to do so. Now I can finally tell you, verse 27, he says, what is impossible with man is not impossible with God. He can change your heart. He can renew your mind. He can transform your soul from the inside out and set you free from this world so that your heart longs for heaven and make you a brand new person from the inside out. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And that's exactly how he changes you through the impossible work of his grace, which comes in and breaks you down to the place of absolute humility where you look nowhere else but to Jesus for your salvation. If you were to die tonight and you were to go and stand before Almighty God, what would be your answer for the question, why should I let you in? And if your answer is anything other than Jesus died for me, you're gonna miss it. You've only got one claim and it's in his name. A little bit later in the chapter, Look at this last verse I got for you up here on the screen because I'm going to make a point. Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, me, I'll be delivered over to chief priests and scribes and, and they'll condemn me to death and they'll deliver me over to the Gentiles and they're going to mock me and they're going to spit on me and they're going to flog me and they're going to kill me. This happens to know he's talking about himself. He's used the Son of Man as a, as a title that comes from the Old Testament. He says, and after three days he will rise. You know what I thought about? Why does Jesus go there, right on the heels of this young, rich, young ruler walking away? You know why? Here's why. Because Jesus was rich. Before he came to be a man, before he humbled himself and was born to a poor family in, in Bethlehem, he was rich. He was with God the Father eternally before he became a man. And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that, that by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he became poor so that through his poverty, you could become rich. And by the way, Jesus was important. He was in heaven with God and he surrendered. Philippians chapter two says he set aside his prerogatives as God and he humbled himself and the king of the universe became a servant and became obedient to the point of death. And by the way, the scripture says that he was cut down in the prime of life. He was young. He was 33 years old when he died on that cross for you and me. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Jesus is the true, rich, young ruler who gave up all that he had so that we could gain the treasure of salvation. He did what I couldn't do. He does what you can't do so that he can transform you into someone who's just like him, loved by the Father and able to live in the peace of God, no matter what we have.